Well, our passage this morning is Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through to 15. And the words will be on the screen. They're also in your leaflet. I'll just give you a moment to find it. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority and do not let anyone despise you. We've got a bit of a journey before us and uh, not much time to do it. We all want to build something that lasts, yes? You want to build something that actually stands the test of time. I've shared with you guys, uh, this is obviously a little bit of a time of reflection uh, for me as I look back over a decade and I think about uh, what I've done, what I haven't done, what I've done well, maybe what I haven't done as well. But when I think about my life, I think the same questions are there for your lives. Surely you want to do something that actually makes a difference. There's nothing more soul-destroying, I think, than to be given a task that ultimately is meaningless. God offers us an opportunity to make a difference, not just in the here and the now, uh, but in in eternity. And Titus 2 sets that before us. We're going to explore that under five headings. And sorry, I came up short on the alliteration. God's purpose, God's method, working in God's purpose... A word applied and waiting and working in hope. So you know where we're going, you know what we've got in front of us. Now our God is a God who works. God hasn't just created and then forgets, he's actually got a purpose that he's working out in the here and the now. And he tells us about that throughout scripture, but here it is in verse 14 of the passage that Anne read for us. That God's purpose is to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. God's purpose 
is to bring a people together, to create a people who belong to him, who serve his purpose, who reflect his character, who bring him glory in the way that they act together. They are eager to do what is good. And if you look at scripture, you look at the span of the Bible's history, you will see that that is there. So Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham, he calls him out to become his person and then promises that through Abraham and his descendants, he would bring blessing to the nation. We see in Exodus 19, this happens again, where God identifies Israel as his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, his holy nation. God, from the beginning, has been about bringing to himself a people. You could say, well, that's a bit narrow. Surely God's perspective is bigger than just us, bigger than just the church. Yes, yes it is. But God's people are central to his purposes. He promises in Romans 8 that he is going to redeem and restore creation. He speaks of creation being subject to frustration because of humanity's rebellion. But he promises that it will be restored, but it's waiting for something. What's it waiting for? Well, there in verse 19, creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Central in God's purposes in the world is what he is doing by bringing men and women, boys and girls, like we heard Maggie share uh, what's happening in Africa as children are coming to faith in Christ, children and adults from all over the globe coming to be part of God's people. Central to God's purposes is the formation, the cherishing of that people. So how is he doing it? Well, he's done it, really. We see it there in Titus 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God has appeared. It's not something that will happen. It's something that has happened. What's he talking about? There's something really big happening out in the foyer there. So much more exciting out there than here. The grace of God? Well, it's the gospel, isn't it? That is what has appeared. The Lord Jesus himself has appeared. He has lived. He has conducted his ministry. He has died in our place. And he has risen again to new life. The grace of God has appeared. And it is through this that God is bringing to himself a people. We read how he does it that the Lord Jesus gave himself for us. He stood in our place. He took our penalty for our sin. And he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his perfect record so that we might stand before God with no fear, with nothing to be ashamed of because Christ's record is our record and he has dealt with everything that stood against us. That is the grace of God that appeared in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God that was displayed in the death and resurrection of Christ. But that's not everything. That's 
just the beginning as we come to faith in Christ. God doesn't leave us at that point. It's like, you know, Tom's going to find this out. Next Saturday is just the beginning. The marriage is so much more than the wedding day. We can focus sometimes when you're preparing for a wedding, you can focus so much on the day that you kind of almost forget. You don't really forget, but then there's every other day that comes from that. We hear about Phil and Alison sharing about the work that goes into making a relationship work. It's the same in our relationship with God. Our conversion, the moment we come to faith, is like that moment that a husband and a wife make promises to each other on the wedding day. But we see from that time forward, a life is lived in light of those promises. And we see this in Titus. Because not only has the grace of God appeared that offers salvation, that same grace, that same gospel, verse 12, teaches us to say no, to turn away from everything that stands against God and his purposes, ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live, to say yes to self-controlled, upright and godly lives. The grace of God, the gospel, teaches us. How? How does the death and resurrection teach us how to live? Well, it shows us the emptiness. It shows us the offence of sin. It shows us the incredible love of our Saviour. It enthralls us with his love and grace. It captivates our hearts. It shows us that how in Jesus, God trumps every promise that the world makes. The world and its desires offers you so much, Jesus trumps it every single time. God has met our deepest needs in Christ. In Ephesians 1 verse 3, he tells us, that he has given us every spiritual blessing. We have no lack. The gospel reminds us of that. It reminds us not that we have just forgiven, we are now sons and daughters by God's grace. And as we think about what God is doing, as we think about this way that he's doing it through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we have a part to play. Paul has left Titus in Crete. He's left Titus amongst a whole bunch of embryonic churches. And he's given him a job to do to make sure that what, is, what the foundation has been laid there, that it will stand in the long term. He tells Titus, the thing that you are to focus on is teaching what is appropriate to sound doctrine. If Titus is going to work in a way that is in line with God's purposes, if Titus is going to build something that's going to last, he's going to do it through teaching and applying God's word. That's how he's going to do it. Paul doesn't want to be misunderstood there. He repeats himself. Verse 15, this is what you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. The ministry of the word is central to God's work. Why? Because the gospel is a message that is both proclaimed and applied. And so when Paul tells Titus to look for leaders, he tells them this in verse, one, uh, verse 9 of chapter 1. 
that the leaders that you appoint, Titus, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Maggie told us of Stanley. He goes and gets trained so that he can faithfully minister the word of God to this wonderful new church plant in the slums of Kampala. Hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. Why? So you can encourage others and refute others. Encourage people by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to be involved in God's work, if we are going to do a work that lasts not just for this life, there's many things you can do of value for this life. But this is an opportunity to get involved in something that will stand in eternity. The lives that Retrack has touched for this world is great. The lives through which God has worked through the work of Retrack to see boys and girls, men and women come to faith, those children are part of his people into eternity. See the vision. And that offer to be involved is there for us. Kez, about this time of year, starts pulling her hair out because she's ringing around asking you all to get involved in kids' church and blast and basement and all this kind of stuff. What she's saying is here's an opportunity to do something with your time next year that will make a difference by God's strength through his spirit for eternity. She's not offering to consume your Friday nights or your Sunday mornings. Yes, it will cost you that. But as you labour faithfully in the ministry of God's word in the lives of individuals, see that this is an opportunity to build something that will last to God's praise and glory. And as we speak the words of the gospel, we must be careful to apply the words of the gospel. Because our faith is intensely practical. It must be both truth and life. Remember uh, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul talked about the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Truth and life. That this life that we live isn't a substitute for the message, but it proves that the message is true. It doesn't give people a reason to disparage the Christian message. It gives the Christian message arms and legs. It puts visual examples in front of people as we live lives transformed by grace. That's a challenge now with the whole same-sex marriage thing. Yes? The world kind of shifted on, on us, not that most of us didn't expect it on Wednesday. Now, brothers and sisters, we may cop flack for holding a biblical line. We may cop abuse. We may be called hateful and bigoted for saying this is what God says about marriage and he invented it. But you know what? Our lives should never give ammunition through our ungodliness, through our unlovingness, through our ungraciousness, we shouldn't expect that the world will praise us 
But we should expect, as Peter tells us, he tells us to live such good lives among the pagans, the people who don't believe, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will and they do, they will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When God returns, when Christ comes with judgment and with salvation, they will see that our words not only accurately reflected God's purposes, but our lives gave him honour and they will give glory to our God and Saviour. The gospel must be proclaimed and it must be applied. Now, Paul does this as he tells Titus to teach a whole bunch of stuff to a whole bunch of people. He talks to uh, the older men and the older women, the younger men and the younger women. Now, I'm going to leave it to you this morning to work out where you fall. Okay. But what Paul does in that section is he's thinking specifically on the ground about this community in Crete. And he's taking God's changeless truth and he's applying it in a changing situation. And so what he might say to Trinity Hills might be a little bit different. Not in its core substance, but in the way that he applies it. And so if you forgive me, I want to give you a word applied. These are my words. Take them or leave them. Older men, do not think you are too old. The world does not value age but God values age. Do not think you are past it. You have nothing to offer. You have wisdom and experience hard won. You have fought many fights and you are still standing by his grace. Some of you may have retired. What an opportunity you have to spend even more time seeking to serve others as you serve God. Step up. This church needs you, older men. It needs you to model and lead and serve and befriend and disciple. Don't think that's for the younger guys. No, it's for the older men. Do we have a category, older men, where you look at serving in kids' church? Nah, that's not for me. That's for young people. No, it's for you. Serve, lead, model, teach. Older women, don't look at this time. Maybe the kids are starting to get less of a burden. Maybe they're completely off your hands. Don't look at this as an opportunity to kick back and maybe just find some time for yourself. You're now freed up. There's an opportunity not just to bless your family, but your family in Christ. You are set free to invest richly with those around you. Make plans. Make plans that are for so much more than the next holiday or the next renovation. Make plans of how you will sow seeds of the gospel in the lives of those around you. Younger women, the world 
talks to you and it values you on so many categories that are just so wrong. God has given you an identity. He has given you an identity that is based upon the love that he gave you in Christ. An identity that cannot be touched. An identity that has nothing to do with your performance and everything to do with your value to him through the gospel. Anchor yourself in that. Live out of that. Care less about what others think and care more about what God thinks. Do not disdain, do not despise being a wife, being a mother. These are high callings and they are so much more important. You are investing, you are investing in the lives of eternal beings. Do not hold it lightly. Make sure that you do not put less important things first. Younger men, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think you've got it all sorted, that there are people here that don't have things to teach you. Do not be proud. With humility and with grace, seek out others to learn from. Seek out others who can teach you. Fight against the apathy Fight against the indecision. Fight against the worldly ambition that values you in terms of your performance. Dream big, but dream for God. Because God has called you so much more. He's called you to so much more than your work, what the next score on the the cricket field or the footy field or whatever it is you play or how good you are at Call of Duty or whatever it is to play on that electronic world. God has called you to so much more. Get a vision for that. Get a vision. If you are married, if you are soon to be married, if one day you might be married, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Serve them, lay your life down for them, lead your families. Old men, young men, old women, younger women, serve God as you work out the implications of the gospel of the Lord Jesus on the ground in your lives. Because we wait and we work. In hope, as Paul promises us in verse 13, we wait for the blessed hope. The Lord Jesus will come back. Our hard work will be vindicated. Revelation promises every tear will be dried. Every sorrow, every sorrow comforted. Our blessed hope the appearing of the Lord Jesus, he is coming. And he has given us an opportunity 
through the ministry of his word. He has given us the capacity through the work of his spirit to make a difference in lives for eternity. So will you do it? Because when he comes back, he will weigh our work. And by his grace, we can long for those words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, your grace, your grace astounds us that you would send your son to offer salvation through his death and resurrection to all people. And Father, the privilege that we have of being involved to call men and women, boys and girls, to their faith in you, to build, to build lives on the gospel of grace, to be involved in the work that you are doing. Father, give us eyes, eyes that see not only the harvest, but the foundation that is ours in Christ and the opportunity we have through the gifting of your spirit and his power that we have to build, to build on that foundation. Father, use us and bless us in your service. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.